three, two, one. So I wanted to share a little insight into how internally we've been approaching rep so far. So we've broken up the first season into two parts. You've just listened to the first half. The first five episodes are deeply personal stories that hopefully gave you tools that you're going to use to decode and understand our last five episodes, which go into more theory and power dynamics. But don't worry, they are still full of brilliant stories and story guides. This episode right now is simply a bridge, a pause a moment to reflect on where we've been and where we're going. What you're going to hear later in this episode is mostly recorded internal conversations. But while I was recording these conversations, I always had you all in mind. It's always been very important for me to be transparent about my process and where we're at with our thinking because, like I've mentioned throughout the show, We are always evolving. Our stories, our thoughts are always evolving. So with that being said, I wanted to welcome you to this episode, which in musical terms, we like to call the interlude. I first met my co-writer and co-producer of rep, Zarin Burnett, when he interviewed me for Playboy magazine six years ago. Our conversation lasted hours, and he transcribed it into 60 pages. We joked that it could be published as a short book. Playboy decided to publish a different interview with me for their Renegades issue, and the conversation that Zarin and I had never actually came out. Until this day, it's my favorite interview and the most representative interview I've ever done. We became quick friends after this conversation, and I made an intention that Zarin and I would work together on a project that felt right for both of us. The idea for Rep was born in 2018, shortly after I finished working on my series Sold in America where I spent a few years investigating the sex trade in the U.S. I noticed the way media represented people of all different subcommunities and how that representation was impacting all of us, both the people who are supposedly being represented and the people consuming those stories. So I wanted to examine the concept of representation more intentionally. And the question that I specifically kept asking myself was, how is the way that American media covers Muslims and Arabs impacting American culture and society as a whole? And while that question was my initial intention for Rep, the more I dug, the more the story revealed itself to be much, much bigger. Rep has become a journey about the stories we tell as a collective. Our relationships with those stories, with truth, with objectivity, and of course, the value of representation. And the intention is always to have a deeper understanding of ourselves, 
our stories, and our beliefs, so we can make sense of the world and reality each of us are individually living in. So in 2021, Zarin had just produced his cinematic podcast series, Black Cowboys, where he and his father, also named Zarin, tell us fantastical stories of real-life American cowboys. It quickly became one of my favorite podcasts. And of course, Zarin became the only person I had in mind when I wanted to bring Rep to life. He knows the power and importance of really being in a relationship with our own stories. So Zarin and I meet regularly, and our Rep meetings felt like a continuation of our conversation six years ago. And so I began to record them. This episode will feel a little different because this episode mostly features a recorded conversation where Zarin and I check in with each other about our intentions. And with that, I am so happy to introduce you all to Zarin Burnett. It's a travesty and a tragedy that we can't see each other. And so the, what I really like is that I think this story, without being confrontational, is making people be able to see each other and giving them the, the means to do this in their own life. So I'm hoping that it's like a toolbox as much as it is a journey for them, that you're handing them along the way. They're learning how to, like, build a wheel. Then they learn how to build an axle. Then they learn how to build a box. And they put the box on the axle and on the wheel. All of a sudden, they got a wagon. And so, like, while we're j- taking the journey, they're also learning how to take other journeys on their own with, other than this one. That's what I'm, kind of my hope is. And I think that you're doing that these stories in a way that I constantly get moved by little things that are ideas, but it's because of mm-hmm. uh, an image or somebody else saying something about what they're dealing with. So that modeling I find really powerful and I'm hoping that others take that because, you know, you can use theory, you can use jargon, you can use jingo, all these things people try to do to change minds, but ultimately it is very simply usually connection and modeling. Love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. I often come to Zarin with what I refer to as a breakthrough or an unlock. Those moments of desperately trying to figure out an answer, or in most cases, a question. Zarin refers to this as positive stress. A lot of people don't believe in things like positive tension and positive stress. Those are two things I often believe in. Yeah, it's so... It's ab- I completely agree with you. I guess I never thought about it being a type of thing to think. It just is like how I always felt because I actually enjoy some certain types of stress sometimes. It's like, it's kind of like solving a math problem. Like when you're yes. cracking it and your brain is like so stressed out, but you feel it moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so close. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was a breakthrough. And the breakthrough I've come to Zarin with today is right after I've had a long conversation with my neighbor, Nick. Nick loves to hunt cook, and he taught me how to shoot bow and arrow. He recently made Adam and I some delicious venison chili, and as I was returning his Tupperware, we spoke about his reflections on rep. It's the first podcast he's ever listened to. Nick was still thinking about the opening scene of our show, specifically the Back to the Future clip depicting Libyan terrorists. So I share more with Zarin. He went straight into, well, my daughter is watching Stranger Things, and in Stranger Things, 
the Russians are the bad guy and she just hates Russians right now. She absolutely hates Russians. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he had this like really huge unlock and I was watching his brain just work. And so what I told him was the, the thing is it's important for us to distinguish between governments and people. They're not yes. the same thing. And yeah. that, you know, when Trump was in office, I had so many people who would reach out to me saying, I want to study abroad in America, but like, is it really as dangerous as it seems? Like my family doesn't want me to go. And I was just like, wow, like this is representation of America at, right now at this point. It's during this conversation with Nick that a specific memory of mine resurfaces and it hits me like a ton of bricks. I had just finished writing the opening scene to our fifth episode titled Tell the Truth Truth. And the memory I open up with is my professor on my last day of journalism school asking me if I was sure I wanted to pursue journalism with a hijab on. His reason was because it, quote, only takes one jerk. And he insinuated me getting killed. This memory has always stuck with me. But during this conversation with Nick, I remember why my professor said that. It was this memory that I had suppressed. And I shared it with Nick. And then, of course, I shared it with Zarin. During that semester, spring 2014, I was also a full-time touring speaker. One of my speaking engagements brought me out to Nashville, Tennessee, where less than an hour away, in a small town called Murfreesboro, there was a huge story I could cover for my school assignment. The Islamic Center of Murfreesboro had gotten a Muslim cemetery approved, but a group of opponents were fighting to halt its construction. After a hearing at the local courthouse, the group of opponents took their fear and frustration out on local reporters and local community members, and then on camera began verbally attacking me. Now, for legal purposes, unfortunately, I can't play the recording of that day on this podcast, but the moment went viral and you can find it online. The tape I shot shows terrible things that people said about Muslims that day, including, it's not a religion, and calling us liars. I even had to prove my school assignment because a former GOP candidate and her team believed that I was affiliated with a terrorist organization. The last thing the woman said to me while my camera was rolling was, you're really inciting work. It's really scary what you're doing. But it wasn't the hate that really got to me. It was the genuine terror. And it wasn't until this conversation right now with Nick that I had this unlock where I realized, oh, rep is in response to that experience. Because what I realized is that she was genuinely afraid of me. And... The thing is, like, nobody ever wants to make someone afraid. Like, you, I don't want someone to be afraid of me. Like, I would never want to instill fear in somebody. That doesn't feel... Only when I want extra seating on a... <laughs> Other than that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
And that's so true. And um, <laughs> and I I realized it when I was talking to Nick, and I was like, people have this genuine fear. It's not an unjust. It's a real fear. And mm-hmm. while it isn't our fault, like it's not American Muslims' fault, and it's mm-hmm. wrong. That can also exist alongside it being a genuine fear. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a genuine, it's an irrational fear. It's a genuine fear. It's a fear of their own imagination because they don't know what they're afraid of. So they're only afraid of this boogeyman. And then the boogeyman wears your face. Exactly. Exactly. And, oh, wow. Basically, the reason I realized what, how this was actually what rep was is because the first question that he asked Nick with his face, just like he had, he's like, he was gaping the whole time. The first question that he asked was, but why do you think she was so afraid? That was, he was genuinely wondering that. Mm-hmm. And me and Adam look at each other and then we look at him and we go, because stories. <laughs> like, literally because stories and that is like why rep needed to start out as for me the intention of how the misrepresentation of muslims in american media is hurting all of us it's not about just because we're muslim that's what's happening it's like giving it's a case study to show you that fear of anybody through stories, like we all end up living in fear. That woman is not having a good time being afraid of me. And I am definitely not having a good time being the recipient of her fear. Like- The only thing that she gets out of it is the world briefly makes sense to her because she knows who the bad person is and how she's the good person. That's all it is. For a moment, she gets gets to make sense. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Huh, wow. I mean, that just goes back to all of us looking for the truth, truth, or looking for answers. It's also why Donald Trump is such a genius politician is because he gives answers to these people in very simple terms and they can go along with it. And everyone else makes fun of him who's so smart, but that's not, none of that fucking matters. The smart people talk to each other and the rest of the world moves through emotions and beliefs and, and momentum. And I mean, I'm not suggesting that we people should emulate him, but they should understand why his thing works. That's all I'm saying. And then people should be able to do that in their way, which is to speak to people's emotions, speak to where they live in their beliefs, and then get them to be not afraid. Because you can make a belief be positive or a belief be negative, but it'll never really be rational. It's a belief. It's below that. You know? Wow. If you know your story... Mm-hmm. And you can unpack your own fears. You are, of course, forced to start questioning your beliefs because that's a part of that process to know. Yourself. And then also building new ones. And that's a really healthy part of the process is because suddenly you have things that make you feel good because you believe them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And in the same sense, is there, like, the beliefs are always grounded in emotions, right? So emotions can seem reasonable, right? They're not rational, but they're reasonable. It makes sense. I feel this way because of this. So it makes sense, but it's not rational. You can't throw facts at it and correct it. It's just purely, this felt like this, and that's why I think this, right? So that's, that's the limit of its reason. But because of that, you can get people to go in lots of different directions. You just have to make it make sense at that level, which is, yes, I mean, like, For a long time, for centuries, 
The idea is that you should turn your other cheek when you were struck. A lot of Christians went with that. They decided, I mean, that's motivated Martin Luther King Jr. in that and, and uh, what Gandhi did. But between the idea of nonviolence comes from this Jesus idea of like when you're when you were beaten, when you were struck with violence, turn your other cheek and basically be, and greet more violence, you know, be ready for more violence rather than to become violent. That idea worked because people believed it. They had no proof in their world. You know, they're like, oh, this just, it just sucks. It's painful. But they believed that it was something more enduring. It was their soul. It was heaven. So the physical pain was beneath the soul, right? We don't have that anymore, so you can't make those arguments. But those are the same types of arguments that work. It's a belief. It's a belief system. And right now, our belief system is very earth-based. So it's based on politics and grudges and short views of history and news stories. But it has the, it has the power of conviction and the belief of, of faith and of religion. And that's why you see the cultishness around Donald Trump. That's why you see people willing to die for this stuff. You see all this religiosity that has no venting and no direction and some people like Trump realize it because he's a salesman and he's basically a huckster. So he loves a fucking religious convention. He can go there and sell them because he knows that's why he's oh, look, I'll hold up the Bible. They don't know it any more than he does. So he'll go around and symbolize. Right. And I wish more people could get into understanding. I'm not suggesting we drop down to this level, but we have to understand that that's the level where most of the conversation right now is occurring in the culture. Exactly. 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 And the aha moment that I had when I got home, that I had right before I, when I was supposed to get on this call with you, was a flashback, which was that story that I start the episode out about my professor saying, are you sure it only takes one jerk, was in response to what happened in Tennessee. I forgot that. Oh, wow. I completely shut that story out. So they were saying it. They were. They weren't warning you based on their imagination. They were warning you based on something that just occurred. Yes, and I didn't even remember that. Mm. I didn't that's even good. remember that's that. Yeah. The story I'd written in my head was that on the last day he said that because of how he felt the first time we met, where he was like, "Are you sure you can't just take it off for the TV and put it back on?" And then the last day of school that happened, and it always stuck with me that he asked me that question. I was so like almost a little bit hurt because I was like, "Look at how far I've come." Like from when I asked to shadow you to where we are, I'm like touring and I'm, I, I did a story on the expansion of Mecca that I shot on my iPhone that got hundreds of thousands of views. And I did that for my class. Like I, I literally illegally filmed in Mecca to do a story for my class. And, um, and that was, so I just remembered all of that. And I realized like, oh, that's why we are doing rep is because I know that for me, a starting point, because it's not just all of it, but a starting point for addressing the fear that people have of other people that they just don't understand is starting with the stories that we're telling about those people. It, it, it is through media representation. We have such a, a consuming relationship with media now, especially now, that if we don't start with our stories, and that's why you have to start with the story of yourselves, because once you know yourself, Intimately, you know that I would never want somebody to lump me in with another person because I am mm -hmm. so uniquely me. So yes. I'm not going to do that to other people. And that's how I can have a conversation like that with Nick because I don't lump him in with everybody yes. else. 
Yeah, you, no, know, you, do, you only need a group if you're doing like a group project. We really, we don't really need all these groups. <laughs> you only need a group if you're doing a group project. Exactly. And look at how hard those are. Right? Like, I I never... I was always the, the person who ended up doing all the work, so... I, I resist labels, but I don't mind affixing adjectives. So I'll be like a person who is American. You know, that's an adjective. It's not a, de- not a definition. If you want, you can say, oh, you're an American. But what is that? But if I say a person who is American means, oh, they come from America. That's literally how I'm using it. So then that means it tells you something. But I wish we could get the culture there. But it seems like right now it's the opposite. Everybody's now getting faster and faster at labeling themselves and diagnosing themselves and labeling others. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. That is so true. We have to really start asking ourselves, like, who's benefiting from these stories? Like, we have to start really interrogating that because we're all hurting. And so somebody has to be benefiting. And if we can recognize that, maybe we can start working on our own healing and and not accepting those storylines or being more inquisitive or just really starting to get to know ourselves in true rep fashion. We have to go back and... We have to examine ourselves, and that's why we're going to begin with examining the story of America and this idea that maybe story is America's greatest export. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ties together really neatly. So, I like it. <sighs> that's the breakthroughs, yeah. Aaron. It's a, good, it's a good full cycle. Yeah. It feels like you've reached your destination. Totally, totally. But this happens both- to be a rest stop. Yeah, like both for that episode, because you've tied your intro and your outro together, so you have a nice circle there, but then also for the all the episodes, it ties together, so the whole first half has a nice feel. One of the things that you were talking about a couple of weeks ago as we transition into the second half of this series is about us using the first half to introduce these ideas and these tools. And that's what I really liked about episode five is that we kept seeing specific tangible tools show up so that you can go back and, and essentially know what we, what kind of tools we use to be able to get here. So as we are empowered with the tools and the approach to story for the second half how do you currently feel? We look at power without laying the language of it. So I don't want people sitting there thinking about the 48 laws of power or whatever. Like I don't want them using previous language. I want them to suddenly realize that that's what they're analyzing, right? So then they go, oh, I could use this anywhere because now they're doing it without applying a special lens. They are suddenly just given the ability to see something they couldn't see before. I had this thought today while I was walking in the cemetery. We take, we take like morning walks in the cemetery and it's so beautiful. There's like mountains in the background and there's trees and the grass is blowing and there's all these animals around. And I, I'm looking around and I just suddenly think like, I don't want to use language that is hateful or negative towards America. It, I mean, it just reminds me of the James Baldwin quote of, I criticize America because of how much I love her. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so grateful that for us being able to be here. When I watched Saturday Night Live yesterday, 
I literally looked at Adam and laughed and I was like, wow, thank God for freedom of speech. Because a lot of the stuff that is said on there, you would not be allowed to say in other places in the world. Like that is still not something to take for granted. It's well, we, I mean, I think a lot of people conflate American culture and America the nation. The American nation is one of the greatest conceptions of how people can live together in the history. I mean, I'm a, I am a student of history, and everybody who studies history knows this is one of the greatest uh, power balances amongst the people and the government. And we've let it go astray because of our culture. Our culture has corrupted our nation's design. But that's on us. That's not on the national design. Then, you know, like... Even though it was, you know, created by dusty slave-owning people who were sexist, I'm not suggesting that they were perfect people. But out of all the various constructions, it's one of the best nations created on paper. So then, it, that's what we should be working towards. Exactly, making the making the promise real. And the way that we make the promise real is by examining what the promise actually is. Like what mm-hmm. And also not giving up the fight. Not giving up the fight to the so-called patriots. This is way too much history, way too many struggles. I know way too many like of my ancestors who went through way difficult, heinous, slave-type shit to get to this point. I'm not going to forgive all that and hand it over to some people just because they get loud and say we're patriots and this is our country. I'm going to say, no, this is my country because of all the investments of all these people before me mm. that I feel that I can say that. And I would turn to my friend who is newly made a minted American and say they can feel exactly the same because that's how America works. So it doesn't mean exactly. that you're investment of blood and exactly. soil. It is this is why I have no arg- no problem arguing with the patriots, but I don't want people like being afraid of these so-called like hateful patriots because all they're trying to use bluster to make everybody they're afraid. The reason why they're getting so loud and so violent is they're afraid. They know they're losing and they're trying to act like they're not. And then if anyone believes that, I mean I, I, I would say you need to study playground behavior because this is the play, this is very much playground behavior. This is somebody who knows they're going to lose and they're trying to get mad so that the game stops. And they're trying to get mad so the game stops. Wow, that gave me chills because that is so familiar. I know that kid on the playground. Right? Yeah. Because if the game stops, they can't lose, and they can just, you know, start, and then, okay, now we'll start new rule and whatever. It's my play. You know, they'll, they'll keep arguing, but yeah. they, they're they terrified that they're, you know, and that's on them, but whatever. Like, but we shouldn't be afraid that they're going to this, like, civil war stuff. Any of this talk of, like, a bigger, greater thing is giving them a lot of credit they don't deserve. Oh, my gosh. So, to you personally, what is the role of story in all of this? It is, once again, returning to religion, it is the, one of the most powerful tools we have. It is the parables, it is the, the, like the homilies, it is the sutras, it is every time we have something where you can boil down it to a story and you can impart a lot of wisdom, like a seed that can become an oak tree can be in a story, right? So I think of that as being the power of story. It is the way to beat a gun, it is the way to be or it is a way to beat all these things that people are terrified because it is something that can be passed along. As long as people understand it and they believe it and they feel it, they can then make it their own and it can be can slightly changed because the truth will still be in there. So the story itself is, I think, the most powerful tool we have to change the world the way we want that doesn't involve blood. Saren, you know, this hit me. When we first, when I, when we first started talking and I was sharing this breakthrough with you, 
And I was like, oh, you and I were never meant to do our interlude debrief episode all mic'd up and everything. It was meant to be one of these times. And I haven't recorded one of our conversations in a while because we've been so invested in everything that it's just been so fast. But if you're comfortable, I'd like to use some of this conversation for that. Oh, sure, of course. Yeah. If you've been recording it, yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. That felt like it. That felt like the interlude to me. Yeah, no, definitely. <sighs> Rep is a production of At Your Service, School of Humans, and iHeart Podcasts. This show is written and produced by me, Noor Tajuri, and Zarin Burnett. Sound design, scoring, editing, mixed and mastered by Jesse Nyswanger. Theme song written and composed by Maimuna Youssef, also known as Mumu Fresh. Our senior producer is Amelia Brock. Our executive producers are Adam Kafif, Zarin Burnett, Jason English, and me, Noor Tajuri. Special thanks to Virginia Prescott from School of Humans and Will Pearson from iHeart Podcasts. If this podcast resonated with you and you'd like to support our show, please rate and review and share it with someone you think may enjoy it. Tune in to Rep next time. I'm Noor Tejuri, as always, at your service. Next up on Rep is America's greatest export. Her story Let's explore that together. Meet you back here July 4th.